Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. We'll talk about Ohio State, the Ohio State. Ohio State University announced yesterday that its leaders are going to meet tomorrow on the matter of Urban Meyer's future with that school. Meanwhile, the Columbus Dispatch reported, quote, two sources connected to the investigation said the likely recommendation to university president Michael V. Drake is a suspension for Meyer. Drake and the board also could opt for a time-served punishment since Meyer has been removed from football activities for more than two weeks. Quote, end of quote. So let me say right now, that Urban Meyer getting, quote, time served for how he handled the history of domestic violence allegations against assistant Zach Smith would be an unbelievable move. And yet at the same time, the most believable thing ever, the most Ohio State thing ever. I mean, sure, Zach Smith has a history of domestic violence allegations and a DUI arrest and ordering sex toys to the facility, and taking photos of his junk at the same facility, and also the White House, by the way, and having sex with a staffer in the facility and photographing it. All that. And Herb Meyer apparently let all that happen. Kept him on the staff, lied to the public about it, but missing a couple of weeks of fall camp is harsh enough punishment. I mean, come on! This guy wasn't there when the guys were doing up-downs. Don't you think Herb is paid a stiff enough price? Don't you think Herb has suffered enough? Don't you think that punishment fits that crime? Yeah, I get it, Buckeye fan. He's a good coach. Hell, he's a great coach. But do you want to be known as the school that protected a great coach who protected an alleged wife beater? I know I wouldn't. I know that's the last thing that I would want to be. Do you want to be the university president who has to justify that move? I wouldn't want to be. That's not being a leader. That's not the message I would want to send about my values. I mean, somewhere you know Jim Tressel has got to be tripping, ripping his sweater vest to shreds. I mean, Tressel's got to be like, I resigned over a tattoo scandal. But this guy might get time served for how he handled domestic violence allegations. Are you serious? Then again, let's not act like a suspension would be that much better. What? He's got to miss games against Oregon State and Rutgers? Way to swing the hammer, Buckeyes. Yeah, that'd be so impressive. Way to send the message that you don't tolerate domestic violence or the protection of alleged abusers. You do not protect hypocrites. You do not protect liars. When obviously you do. Just as Meyer protected Smith and continued to employ him and then lied about it. I mean, again, I got to know, what did this guy have on Meyer? What did this guy know about Herb Meyer? How was this guy that important as a wide receiver coach? Remember, when Meyer was confronted about the 2015 allegations at Big Ten Media Days, he denied their existence. But then, over a week later, he released a statement where he claimed he did know them and even said that he handled them the right way at the time. So, Herb, which is it? You didn't know about them or you knew about them and even handled them correctly? Because right about now, I'm having a hard time remembering which load of crap that you're shoveling. And in that statement where he made the claim, he also wrote, quote, 
Unfortunately, at Big Ten Media Days on July 24th, I failed on many of these fronts. My intention was not to say anything inaccurate or misleading. However, I was not adequately prepared to discuss these sensitive personnel issues with the media, and I apologize for the way I handled those questions. End of quote. He says he handled the question poorly in media days. You handled the question poorly. You mean you lied out your ass about it? Hey, Herb, stop lying. Just stop. There were nine separate questions about 2015, and you denied it every single time. Not only did you deny it, you claimed that the 2015 allegations were made up. You said to the media, quote, I got a text last night, something happened in 2015, and there was nothing. Once again, there's nothing. Once again, I don't know who creates a story like that, end quote. So, if you did your job correctly and you're proud of how you handled it, then why did you lie about it so many times when you were asked about it? And if you were inadequately prepared to discuss the issue, which is not an appropriate response for the head football coach when talking about the behavior of one of his assistants. But if that were the case, admit it. Admit that you're not prepared to discuss it, but don't lie about it. But he did. Repeatedly. So the fact of the matter is, His intention was to be inaccurate. His intention was to be misleading. Again, he lied out his ass. Bottom line, if Ohio State gives this guy time served, or Ohio State gives this guy a short suspension, then they're okay with all that. They're okay with a guy lying to protect an alleged domestic abuser. So when Urban Meyer says he didn't know about the allegations repeatedly in public and then comes back later and says he did know about it and he handled it the right way, how can you trust this guy? If you're Ohio State, how can you trust him? If you're the parent of an Ohio State player, how can you trust him? If you're the parent of a recruit, how can you trust him? Again, I get it. He's a great coach. You might not be able to find a better coach right now because the only guy who is guaranteed to be better is in Tuscaloosa. But, but... You're not some scrub-ass school who has to put up with liars in order to have success. You're Ohio State. Freaking act like it. And if your decision is to give this guy time served or a few-game suspension, then that is who Ohio State is. That's who Ohio State and what they're all about. And that's who they are going forward, and we all know it. This is a school that always wants people to make sure that they get the Ohio State University correct. The Ohio State University better get this punishment correct. They better get that right. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. Shock the world. Do the right thing. Time served is not the right thing. A short punishment is not the right thing. We're joined by Ice Cube. Cube, it's good to have you back. Good morning. How are you? What up, Jim? How you doing, man? Good, Cube. Good to have you. Listen, before we talk about Friday's championship in Brooklyn, Cube, go back to Dallas on last Friday. It's the playoffs. You've got more than 16,000 fans for the playoffs. What was it like to have a league record crowd on a Friday night? Take me back. What did that night feel like? I mean, it was awesome, you know, because we had great talent on the floor, you know, four of our best teams going at it. Uh, Dallas, who... We were there last year, and, you know, we had 15,000 people in the house. So to come back with a playoff game, have more people, have them more uh, engaged with the action shows that the league is moving in the right direction. It was just 
it was it was just fun, man. And you know that's what I wanted to bring some fun to the summer. Now you've got Power and Three's Company facing off in the championship game Friday night, Cuban Brooklyn. Power is the number one seed. They got guys like Corey Maggette, Big Baby Davis. When you watch them play, what sticks out to you the most about that club? Their desire, teamwork. Um, they, you know, have no backup in their game. You know, they do whatever it takes to win. Um, you know, Catino Mobley is about as fiery as you can be, uh, as fiery as I remember him in the NBA. Um, and so it was just, it's just great to see them dudes compete and jail come together as a team around Nancy Lieberman, who's a great coach and a great communicator. And that's why her team is in championship game. Cube joining us. You know, Cube, I want to talk to you about Nancy in, in one minute, but when you talk about the fire that Katino Mobley has shown, man, guys are getting emotional. Big Baby was really emotional, and he shared that emotion with the rest of the team. So what's it tell you about the competitive fire in that league and what the league means to these guys who are still playing in it, especially when you look at Baby and you see his response? Hey, these guys are competitors, man, and everybody want to win. You know, that's the thing. Uh, so when you do whatever it takes to win. And these games are not easy. Um, you know, emotions come out. And so I saw Kenyon Martin cry during the championship game last year when they won it. So I know that these guys are still as passionate as ever. And this means as much to them as any championship they've ever went for. You think, does it mean as much to them as an NBA championship? It means that much? Yeah, because... They're playing right now for the big three. You know, the NBA is in a lot of these guys' rearview mirror. Some of them won championships there, and they, they realize that they can't win another NBA championship, but they can win another big three championship. So, to me, this is the most important one that's uh, right in front of them that they can attain. Take the labor out of this Labor Day with a master-built smoker. I've had wings, ribs, veggies, even mac and cheese that were all smoked in a master built, and it was all incredible. Whether you're a beginner or a seasoned professional, you'll find that just right smoker for your backyard cookout. It's easier and it tastes better than grilling. Load the smoker up with your favorite foods, set the time and temp, and walk away. Spend more time with your family and friends. It's available at Home Depot, Lowe's, Sam's Club, Academy, Bass Pro, and Cabela's. For more information, tips, and recipes, visit masterbuilt.com. You, know, you mentioned Nancy Lieberman. She told the story recently about how she stepped away from coaching so she could tend to some family matters, but then she got a call from League Commissioner Clyde Drexler, and he talked about how the league values diversity, inclusion, and opportunity, and that those are principles that come from you. Why was it so important to make that a part of the league, and what's it been like to get to spend some time with a legend like Nancy Lieberman? It's great because, you know, a lot of us, all we need is an opportunity and um, to show how great we are. So it's a, it's a good thing to see her take advantage of this opportunity. We, we're lucky that she took the job because she was the best coach available uh, who understood the big three game and understood, you know, uh, how our league um, impacts players uh, and how our league is, is really uh, – what we're trying to accomplish, so to speak. So she was the perfect candidate, um, and she took the job. 
And I told her, because um, she asked me why, why did I want her to be a coach? And I said, because I, th- I thought she would coach to win the championship, and that's what it's all about. It's, not, it's about nothing else, but we want coaches that want to win the championship. Vice Cube joining us. You know, Cube, after Friday's game, a number of the guys were talking about the growth of the league. Drew Gooden talked about how he was in Greece recently. He saw a commercial for the league, and then he was walking around Greece. People were stopping him and saying, you play in the big three. So how much pride do you take in the fact that this is not a local thing, a regional thing, but in fact it's going global? It's amazing. Um, you know, we did all of our homework before we started this league, and we knew that three-on-three – the most popular uh, form of basketball in the world. And so we just knew we had to, you know, kind of build a better mousetrap, so to speak. There's a lot of leagues out there around three-on-three, three, but we wanted to have the Premier League and a professional league. And um, to see it grow, uh, to see it grow around the world is just an incredible sight. Um, I'm very blessed to be in this position. Cube, there was another moment recently where Steven Jackson was asked if Kobe could handle the physicality of the league. What do you make of that question? And maybe what's to tell you about the growth of the league that somebody might think that it was too physical or too tough for Kobe? Uh, it shows that the big three is its own sport. You know, it's not the NBA. Um, it, it is its own entity. Um, I believe, of course, Kobe can play on any level. Uh, but you got to bring your big boy pants to play in the big three because it's going to be physical. All of our veterans are savvy. They got all the veteran moves. You're not going <laughs> to trick them or fool them. You got to come with desire and passion. Uh, and and I believe Kobe still has that passion. Uh, but if he don't, then, you know, we got great seats for him right up front. He can watch. <laughs> right. Cube joining us. In fact, speaking of Kobe, before you go, last time you and I talked, it was right after the announcement that LeBron was going to join the Lakers. Now we see Laker jerseys all over town with James on the back. What's it like to see that? It's amazing. You know, you uh, you don't you don't like the best player in the league unless he's on your team. <laughs> so when he's on your team, it's always a wonderful thing. I remember uh, Shaq uh, was this special player that we saw from afar. We looked up one day and he was on the Lakers and it was a new day. So the Lakers are amazing when it comes to acquiring talent. They were able to get Will Chamberlain. They were able to get Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Shaquille O'Neal, and now LeBron James. Even even people like McAdoo. But, uh, so it's just great to see the organization doing what they do best is uh, acquire big time free agents. Cube still at the same time. Some Kobe fans just don't get it. They're not with it. They splash those murals with paint. What do you say to any Kobe fans who are not supporting the Lakers now that LeBron is on the team? That's absolutely ridiculous. What you think Kobe gonna come out the rafters and play? I mean, that era is in our rearview mirror, and we need to be looking forward and enjoying the future, and uh, celebrating the past, but enjoying the future. Cube, earlier this month was the 30th anniversary of Straight Outta Compton. 30 years, man, that's hard to imagine. What do you think when you look back on that album now? 
it was um to me pure you know i i would say inspiration pure inspiration because nobody knew not in the group that the, that it would even be accepted on the large level so the record was just pure inspiration to me I've told you about these decanting cocktail glasses, incredible craftsmanship and style that have elevated my bar to the next level. Bespoke Post. It delivers a monthly themed box of awesome, full of goods to upgrade your style, your apartment, and your life. I'm talking about all sorts of box themes, style, grooming, cooking, drinking, or travel. Bespoke Post has new boxes every single month that you are guaranteed to dig and no commitments either. Bespoke Post lets you know which box they've picked out for you on the first of every month and then you've got five days to keep it, switch it, or just skip it. I'm telling you, I look forward to this every single month. I can't wait to bust open that box of awesome. Bespoke Post scouts out quality and unique products from around the world and then delivers them to you every single month without high retail markups. To receive 20% off your first subscription box, go to boxofawesome.com and enter promo code Rome at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, promo code Rome. Get 20% off your first box. Again, Bespoke Post, theme boxes for guys that give a damn. I need to congratulate Alex Rodriguez. I need to congratulate A-Rod because he has officially reached the point of no return in that character arc. From teen hero to baggy villain to reconciled broadcaster to cringiest dude on the planet. Man, this guy has done it all. He's reinvented himself a thousand times. But he's gone now. Now he's gone. He's far gone. And I don't see how he comes back. I mean, I never thought he'd come back from being the bag that he was, but somehow he did. The guy was that slick. He did make it back. But this, I don't see how he makes it back from this. I don't see the roadmap. Listen, his relationship with J-Lo is his business. If he's happy, hell, even if he's not happy, I don't care at all. I'm not digging around the checkout stands for gossip rags to keep up with these two. I don't care. But that actually is my biggest problem. My biggest problem with A-Low or J-Rod or whatever the hell they're calling themselves is I'm not looking for them, but I can't stop finding them everywhere. And last night was peak baggery for this wannabe power couple. That meme that you've seen plastered all over the internet today of A-Rod looking at his phone and making that stupid face like he's choking on a sour warhead is from last night's MTV Video Music Awards. The guy was in the crowd filming his girlfriend perform on his personal blower despite the fact that it was being taped and recorded by about a thousand professional cameras. But A-Rod knew that one of those thousand cameras was going to be on him, so he had to go all A-bag with it and then oversell the entire thing. Overact, oversell, overproject, the entire thing, which he did to the nth degree of A-Rod. And the entire charade of acting like the most involved boyfriend of all time came out after he joined the paparazzi on the red carpet to take pictures of J-Lo. I mean, what is this guy's deal? Either he's getting paid to document her in public, or he's extremely worried 
that you might forget that he's with her. Because no one loves being seen with Jenny from the block quite like A-Bag. I'm here to tell you, dude. We get it. We get it. We know you're dating. We can't not see it. It's everywhere. We've seen the Instagram couples workout vids. We've seen the carpool karaoke. We've seen the beach photos. We're good now. We get it. Problem is, it's not just thirsty us, A-Rod. She's just as bad. And last night, after she accepted her award for who the hell knows what, she gave a speech partially dedicated to her new man. You're like my twin soul. We're like mirror images of each other. You know, my life is, is sweeter and better with you in it because you make me realize that every day the sky is not the limit. The universe is infinite. And so is what we can accomplish together with love and trust and understanding. Like the kids say, cringy. You're my twin soul. We're mirror images of each other. I'm telling you, man, this dude loves getting nice with mirrors. So that should work out fine. That's good. The audio is bad. The audio is bad. You just heard it. The audio is bad. But the video of A-Rod fighting back tears is enough for me to finally just concede this entire thing. Y'all win. You two win. You guys win. The world is your rom-com. We're all just extras. Happy to be here. Keep posting workout videos. Keep giving speeches about how the universe is infinite. And so is your love. And we'll all pretend like one of you is not trying to get back at Mark Anthony and the other one isn't trying to somehow rework that image as Hall of Fame approved. Can't get away from it. We get it. You're together. We understand. Casper was created with one goal to deliver a great night of sleep at an amazing value. Yeah, well, consider the goal met. The team of engineers and designers at Casper worked nonstop researching, prototyping, and testing all of their mattresses based on how different people sleep. The Casper mattress has a unique combination of foams that provide the right pressure relief and alignment so you can feel perfectly balanced and comfortable. And the breathable material guarantees that you sleep cool. Plus, the mattresses are built to last four years. Try Casper yourself for 100 nights risk-free. They ship it to you for free in a compact box. If you don't love it, they will pick it up and refund you everything, no questions asked. See for yourself why Casper has over 35,000 five-star reviews and counting. Go to Casper.com today and take advantage of Casper's limited-time Labor Day offer. Say goodbye to summer with 10% off any order with a mattress. Casper.com. Terms and conditions to apply. See site for details based on reviews of all Casper products across Ross Casper, Google, and Amazon. Their head coach is Blake Anderson. Blake, good morning. Really nice to have you on. How are you? I'm doing great, Jim. Appreciate you having me. It's good to have you, Blake. Thanks so much. Now, there's a lot of buzz around your program right now. So how are you and the team feeling as you get ready for that season opener on September 1st? Yeah, there's uh, there's never been more excitement in a season at Arkansas State than what we've got going. We've uh, Sitting here watching these guys working on some stadium expansion stuff that's going to be really unique that should be opened up. And then, you know, first time ever having having votes inside the AP Top 25. And Phil still came out a few weeks ago with his his 25, Top 25, and, and had us ranked in that. And 
So, yeah, there's a lot of excitement and, and, and buzz going into it. And we're, we're good. I mean, we're healthy. We've had a good fall camp. We've got a cu- couple bumps and bruises, but nothing significant. Haven't lost anybody that we needed. Uh, you know, no uh, media releases of uh, ACL or anything like that. So we're excited and ready to go. we still got a little bit of work left to do, but it's looking good. Blake Anderson joining us. All right, so lots to be excited about. Let me ask you about your senior quarterback, Justice Hansen. He was the Sun Belt Offensive Player of the Year last season. He set conference records for passing TDs and total offense. What is it about him that makes him special and sets him apart? Well, he's a big guy, number one. He's he's 6'3", 225, maybe closer to 6'4". So he's, he's tough to bring down, and he moves the chains with his feet. Uh, he can make all the throws. and we, we throw the ball to the far side of the field, and you know, a lot of a lot of places you don't have that luxury to truly use the entire field. And if you watch us very much, we spread it out and using every bit of the grass. But I think the main thing about him, just a confidence level and a calmness to him. He's really, really low key. Does not get rattled. Seems like when the when the game gets tough and gets really uh, out of hand, you know, in terms of the energy and the excitement level, he seems to seems to be really poised and calm, and it's, it's got a great effect on our offense. Arkansas State head coach Blake Anderson is my guest. Hey, look, I know you're focused on the season opener, which I mentioned, but that second game of the season is at Alabama. Now, you have never been afraid to take on tough teams. You gave Nebraska all they could handle in last year's opener. You faced teams like Auburn, USC, Missouri the past few years. Do you talk at all about the Alabama game of the offseason and in camp, or are you going to wait until after the first game before you address that? Well, we're, we're, we're going to wait till after the first game at this point. I mean, we, we briefly touched on it in the offseason, just talking about, obviously, big challenge, but also creates, you know, big opportunities. And uh, just, just laid a little bit of a foundation for it. But, you know, at this point, I think one week at a time is the best approach for us. We won't have any trouble getting our guys excited for that game. Probably, you know, really it's going to come down to keeping them, keeping them calm enough to, to really play the way they're capable of playing. We know what the challenge is. We're going to travel and play one of the best teams on the planet. We're going to play them in their backyard. But uh, if we're going there calm and, and, and do our job and hopefully maybe uh, you'll get those guys sandwiched between Louisville and Ole Miss and not really thinking about us real well, who knows? They make a mistake or two and, and no telling what happens in that game. But I think we we got to be careful about getting ahead of ourselves. we got to beat SEMO week one, and we need to still solidify some things on our squad uh, based off guys that graduated, and that's really the focus. We're talking Arkansas State football, Arkansas State football, Blake Anderson, my guest. You know, as I mentioned off the very top, you're entering your fifth season. When you first got there, though, you were the program's fifth coach in five seasons. That's the kind of turnover in leadership that can be really tough on players. So how would you describe the mental and emotional state of that team, of the players, when you first got there? Oh, it was rough. It was rough. Man. It, you know, trust was non-existent. I mean, everybody that had been in there in the previous three or four years had said the same thing, you know, we're here to stay, and we're going to build this thing together. And, and they just, you know, out of sheer circumstance, guys kept leaving. I mean, may, that may never happen again in college football. Guys going right back where they came from, you know, kind of perfect storm scenario. But it uh, it took a while. And, you know, I think the main thing that we didn't realize getting in here, and even Terry and the administration didn't realize what it had done to the roster in terms of scholarship athletes. We played the first year with 54 guys on scholarship. And uh, we've, we've been building that back up. We're still going into this season with only 74. Uh, it, it has been a long, slow process to rebuild the roster to get even close to that 85 number that we're allotted. And, and it just it doesn't happen overnight. You know, the attitudes changed dramatically, but that first year was rough. And we just tried to be patient and be consistent and, and look up. And, you know, now we're here going into year five is what we told them. But, but I think you just had to do it. 
You just had to be here every day. Yeah, I think you got to make that point really clear. I mean, you had 54 guys on scholarship when you took over, 31 short of the NCAA limit. And in college football, you could argue that you're only as good as your depth, and you were 31 scholarship players short. So you've made the best of that, and you build this thing, and you keep going and keep going. But at the same time, when you've had the kind of success that you've had at Arkansas State, other schools are certainly going to call. How do you handle those phone calls when they come? I uh, just take them one, one at a time and, and just – Really, just sit back and talk to the people that that you trust, and uh, really just pray about it as a family, and figure out that if we do our job, an opportunity, uh, an opportunity eventually will come up that's the right one. But uh, and we're so happy with what we're doing, and you know we've we've done so much, ninety million dollars worth of work here in the last four years. Terry and the administration have put together. We've won two titles, and we want to win another one. But really, we want to represent the group of five in January in in, in one of those big bowl games against a power five opponent. And so we, our vision really is all on that. Finding a way to keep building this place that we can play in, in that game and represent the group of five. You know, you look at what you've built, and you've got to be so proud of that. But the fact is, Blake, the road here was not easy. We're talking about stops in places like Eastern New Mexico, Howard Payne University, Trinity Valley Community College. What were the early days like? Uh, well, we didn't make much money. And uh, we, were, uh, we were eating at the calf and living in the dorms with the guys, and my wife was working a couple jobs. I worked jobs in the summer to, to make enough money to do what we love to do. And, uh, you know, we drove a lot of buses and, and did a lot of the other work. And it, it's, uh, But it's all, I think, really helped me have a perspective of appreciation for what I have now. Uh, you know, the things that we're able to do at this level, the, the things that we're able to provide for our players and just the lifestyle that, that my coaches are able to have, all that. You know, the, all that tough times that we went through, that all molded me to, to, to want to run a program the way I run it and also to truly appreciate all the little things that we, we have that we never had at those other levels. Yeah, listen, one more thing about that. I mean, it's one thing to go and kind of grind your way through that, but the fact of the matter is you kept on working your way up the ranks, and then you're at Middle Tennessee State, and again, you're grinding hard, but then you notice that it's taking a toll on you and, more importantly, even on your family. So in the summer of 2005, you decided to step away from coaching. What was it like to make that decision at that time? Hardest decision I've ever had to make, but but most important and the right one. You know, just uh, – yeah, the job and, and the way I was approaching the job and my, my day-to-day work ethic and this environment I created for my wife and kids was it just was wrong. And uh, I just knew if I wanted to if I wanted to stay married and, and raise my kids and, and be the kind of husband and father that I wanted to be, I know God wanted me to be, that I had to I had to prioritize differently. And so I stepped away and really worked on my marriage and, and my relationship with my family and relationship with my, my Lord and Savior and uh didn't really know that I'd ever get to coach again. I mean, it, it was a just pure leap of faith that if this is what God wanted me doing, he'd get me back in it. And, you know, two years later when the opportunity presented itself and I did get back, get back in, just taking a different approach. My priorities have been about, you know, my faith and my family first and, and integrate those into my job. And I look back now, you know, 12, 13 years later and really like what we've done and how we've done it and the culture we've created. But, uh, most important thing I ever did was to step away when I, when I did and how I did. Blake Anderson joining us, Arkansas State head football coach. And then last week, one of your assistants, Brian Early, tweeted a pic of his daughters on their first day of school with the caption, and I quote, first day of fifth and ninth grade today, fist bump to the best head coach in the country, Blake Anderson, for letting me miss a staff meeting to take them to school this morning, end quote. Seems to me a lot of head coaches would not do that. Why was that important to you? Well, as I said, priorities. I mean, we're going we're going to spend time uh, 
with our families. We're going to have the kids around a lot. You know, if we've got an opportunity where a coach can, you know, miss a meeting and go watch a kid play, and we'll take notes for him and talk to him when he gets back, and or if a guy can take his kids to school, we're going to do it. It's just um, I see what it did to my family. You know, the years that I, you know, I kept the door shut and grinded till you know till they were all asleep and left when they were still getting out of bed, and we're just we're not going to do that here. Uh, I think we can still be successful uh, doing what we're doing and doing it the way we do with balance, uh, and it allows us to uh, really keep faith and family involved in every aspect of what we're doing. That's just one of the little things that we try to do, just a day where they can take them to school or maybe eat lunch with them sometime. Everybody knows about the risks of driving drunk. You could get in a crash. People could get hurt or killed. But let's take a moment and look at some surprising statistics. Almost 29 people in the United States die every single day in alcohol-impaired vehicle crashes. That's one person every 50 minutes. Even though drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third in the last three decades, drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives every single year. Drunk driving can have a big impact on your wallet also. You could get arrested and incur huge legal expenses. You could possibly even lose your job. So what can you do to prevent drunk driving? Plan a safe ride home before you start drinking. Designate a sober driver or call a taxi. If someone you know has been drinking, take their keys and arrange for them to get a sober ride home. We all know the consequences of driving drunk, but one thing is for sure. You're wrong if you think it's no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. Like when you think of dangerous sports, golf normally is not on that list, right? It's a game where dudes roll out in plaid, they wear visors, they knock around a little ball, it's sitting still. Not exactly combat sports. Not exactly lethal like some other sports. Normally the most dangerous thing that could happen on the links is the cat pulling out the big dog at the tee and braining some dude in the gallery from 300 yards away. Or Hefty, getting ready to unleash some of his black belt in Taekwondo on knee-high fescue so he can improve his line. Or using a judo chop to stop an errant three-putt while it's still rolling. I mean, it's just golf, right? It's not a combat sport. Suckers are not getting blown up. They're not getting snot-bubbled. The gentleman's game. Or so I thought. Because it was a bloody, violent weekend for the gentleman's game. And two incidents on the course this weekend demand your attention. The first one happened on the Web.com tour. When golfer Kevin Statler sent a spectator to the hospital after he slammed slammed his 7-iron off the turf. And the club had snapped and brained a dude. Imagine being behind the ropes. You're watching the Walrus's kid play a par three. It's a web.com event, the top minor league circuit. So you're probably only a few feet away. And all of a sudden, a club head comes flying through the air like a tomahawk or a daisy cutter. And it practically lodges in your skull. And that's not a bruise. And that's not a scrape. We're talking EMTs dispatched to the scene. Playing partner. Sean McKeel said, quote, it's been a while since I've seen that much blood, end quote. And the poor dude who needed to fill his head with zippers just to close that gash was actually being looked at for a possible skull fracture. Yo, Walrus Jr. 
It's the web.com tour. You did not just pull a shot into Ray's Creek at the Masters. You tugged an iron into a bunker at the Winko Foods Portland Open presented by Kraft Heinz. And you got up and down. Too bad you can't say the same thing about that poor dude who has got a wrench jammed into his melon. And if you think a skull fracture sounds bad, and it is, wait until you hear what happened at Souther's Marsh Golf Club. It's about 45 minutes south of Boston. Because it's one thing to get hit by a flying club in a freak accident in the gallery. It's another to lose a freaking digit in an all-out golf brawl. Right now is behind bars. The other at the hospital recovering after that finger was bitten off. Now this all went down, we're told by firefighters, around 6.30 tonight at the Southers Marsh Golf Course that is in Western Plymouth here. We're told two men got into a fight and one bit off with his teeth, the other's finger. When firefighters arrived, they found that the victim had his finger bitten off at the knuckle and the rest of his finger was on ice. Take a listen. Be advised, an update from the PD. Apparently, there's two foursomes that got into an altercation and there's been a finger that's been bitten off. The uh, victim's laying down on the main entrance road in between a cluster of three golf cuts. Now that victim was rushed to South Shore Hospital. No word on his condition tonight. As for that alleged biter, the 47-year-old man again is behind bars. No word if alcohol was involved. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Did she say that he was bitten off? He had his finger bitten off with teeth? How else would you bite anything off? Hey, look, I'm as competitive as the next guy. That... that that news report is absolutely amazing. I'm as competitive as the next guy. I want to win as badly as the next guy. I hate to lose as much as anybody. But no matter how hard the competitive juices are flowing, a Friday night twilight round at Southers Marsh should not end up with some dude looking like Ronnie Lott. The background here, the backstory here is a couple of foursomes brawled so hard that a guy literally did bite another man's finger off. Some poor schmuck now needs only 80% of his golf glove because one group reportedly was playing too slowly. Listen, slow golf is a crime against sports humanity. There is nothing worse than getting stuck behind a group where each dude is rehearsing his backswing before every shank or stalking an eight-foot putt like he's Justin Thomas on the 72nd hole, only to blow that thing six feet by the hole. But just because it takes a little longer than it should to get your round in does not mean you need to leave some dude fingerless and lying between three golf carts waiting for a medic to arrive. Now, the finger biter was in court yesterday, and the story only gets more bizarre from there. According to court documents, the biter, a 47-year-old man, claims that in the middle of the melee, he was defending his father, who was also playing in his foursome, when a finger just, quote, ended up in his mouth, end quote. So he just bit down. I mean, I guess I could see where that might happen, maybe. You're brawling alongside Pops on the 18th hole. Things are getting crazy. I mean, it is a fight. Anything goes in a fight, especially in a fight on the street or on a golf course. You're fighting alongside your old man. Some dude comes in with the classic fish hook. And on instinct, you just bite down 
lopping a guy's digit off, quote, to the knuckle. Now, the dude who's short a digit told the police a very different story. Knuckles said that the biter grabbed his wrist and began mowing down on his fingers, plural, and that the noise made from the dude grubbing on his hand sounded like, now wait for this, he said it sounded, quote, like someone chewing a Dorito, a freaking Dorito. No word on whether or not that was nacho cheese or Cool Ranch. And even after Knuckles' son picked up the severed finger and put it in a cup of ice and brought it to the emergency room, and I always respect that move. How many times have you heard about a guy who had a finger or a thumb or a leg or a nose munched off? There's always that one guy. Man, the one guy who's got the presence of mind to pick up the fallen nose or leg or finger and put it in an ice chest. But this guy did that for Pops, or in this case, Knuckles. However, it didn't matter. They could not reattach the stub at the hospital. So you tell me, you find me a crazier weekend of golf than that one on one coast. A pro golfer sends a sawed-off 7-iron into the gallery like a daisy cutter. And then on the other, fathers and sons decide to throw down over slow play, and it costs somebody a digit. I mean, seriously. Again, I understand it's a fight, and anything and everything goes in a fight. I mean, we all know this. This is what's so scary about fights. It's one thing to have a guy break your nose or break your face or break your jaw, but it's a fight, and you have no idea what's going to happen. Somebody might bite down on a digit. Somebody could lose a digit. And it's not the first time I've heard of somebody resorting to biting. But biting? I mean, that's the worst story I've heard since that Charger fan and Raider fan got into a bar in San Diego and a guy lost an ear. Speaking of which... I mean, biting a dude's digit off. Not everybody's got that tool in their arsenal. Not everybody's got that tool in their tool chest. Hell, Mike Tyson turning Evander Holyfield's ear into a tortilla chip thinks that's over the top. Most people wait until the 19th hole to get a bite to eat. This dude was crushing a knuckle sando on the 18th because somebody took a little too long between shots. Walrus Jr., is cracking coconuts. Biter was protecting his old man when a finger just ended up in between his teeth. So Knuckles said he almost got turned into Captain Hook and said it sounded like somebody chewing on a Dorito. Say what you want about golf. It is officially time to stop calling it boring. That happened on the same weekend on separate coasts. So now there's a lot more to be worried about than just Hefty breaking out his black belt on the links or Tiger Woods breaking out the big bat and going with an errant drive. This dude lost a finger and it sounded like somebody chewing on a Dorito. I bet that's not what it felt like. This dude lost a finger over slow play. Do you think it was a fish hook? And did he have it coming to him?
Now, say what you want about the Washington Nationals, and believe me, I have, but one thing that you cannot call these guys is a bunch of procrastinators because instead of waiting until October to rig the roster with dynamite and light the fuse, these dudes are imploding right before our very eyes, and it's mid-August. Why put off till tomorrow what you guys can do right now, right, guys? Now, if you're looking for the Nats, they have burrowed themselves beneath rock bottom. They're in third place in the worst division in baseball, and they just wore a 12-to-1 beatdown at the hands of the freaking Marlins. The Marlins. Jose Orena, the dude who lasted one pitch against the Braves after dotting Ronald Acuna, just went Walter Johnson on the Nats throwing a complete game two-hitter. That's the first time he's ever collected 27 outs. Things are so bad that even yesterday's off day was painful for the Nats. That's because the Washington Post dropped a piece detailing all the dysfunction in the district, and damn, it is a doozy. For instance, on July 31st, the Nats beat the Mets 25-4, to but late in that game, reliever Sean Kelly became frustrated with the umps. He allows a three-run bomb to the Mets. He slams his glove to the ground, and then he looks into the dugout. The belief was he was doing that to complain to the dugout that they did not have his back with the umpires. He says that's not what that was about. Personally, I don't care. What I do care about is the fact that the Nats could have chemistry so terrible that they would manage to find a way to bleep up a 21-run win. And it was about to get even worse because Nats GM Mike Rizzo went into the clubhouse after that game, and that's when a very national situation became the most national situation ever. Let me read directly from the post. Quote, Rizzo headed down to the clubhouse and confronted Kelly, according to people familiar with the situation. The argument became heated, including raised voices, and eventually it almost became physical, according to people familiar with the exchange. Adam Eaton got between the pair and separated them before things could advance further, but Rizzo's frustration was not isolated. End quote. You heard that right. The Nationals GM went into the clubhouse and nearly gave the hands to a Nationals player after they won a game by 21 runs. Hell to the yes. Hell to the yes. That is officially the second greatest moment in Nationals history. The greatest moment in Nationals history, of course, was Jonathan Papelbon trying to choke out Bryce Harper. You can roll that anytime you want. And Bryce Harper will hit it in the air to left. Jeff Francoeur, after switching over, makes that catch. There is something going on in the dugout. See Papelbon saying, run the ball out. And Bryce saying, you got to be kidding me. And then Papelbon went right after Harper. It's getting ugly, folks. There's no other way to put it. I mean, you could read his lips. He told him, you got to run that ball out. And Bryce Harper said, are you kidding me? That's not good. Unbelievable. Well, that's good. I disagree. That was good. That was incredible. In fact, there is no week that goes by that I don't think about that moment. There is not a week that goes by in my life, no matter what's going on, either on or off this show, that I do not think about that moment. That was incredible. I love that take that, hey, folks, there's something going on in the dugout. Right. That's your 
closer trying to choke out your franchise player in the dugout. That's what's going on in the dugout. That was incredible. That was amazing. I never thought anything would ever come close to that. A closer trying to choke out the best player in baseball in his own dugout for not running out of ground ball. However, a GM wanting to give the hands to one of his own players comes really, really close. Because some older guy wanting to rumble with an athlete in his prime comes really close. Some old dude who's pissed about a glove slam in a 21-run win and decides that he's going to fight one of his own guys comes really, really close. I only wish that there was audio or even video of Rizzo wanting to give one of his own guys the hands. That'd be amazing. I want that so badly. I need that audio. I need that video in the worst way possible. In fact, if there was video or audio, it probably would run down Papelbon choking out Harper as the greatest moment in Nats history. Probably the greatest moment in baseball history. Not only does a GM nearly fight a player come really close to Papelbon v. Harper, but what makes it even better is it's the same freaking organization. The two greatest moments in Nationals team history are guys either fighting with each other or wanting to fight each other. Same organization. Absolutely nat-tastic. Nothing this season has gone right for the Nationals. Players-only meetings after losing streaks. Bleach after a norovirus outbreak, had the entire team puking their guts out and taking on the great equalizer. Even Bryce going on a hot streak after his old man got his back going at home run derby was not enough to get this team out of a funk. They fired Dusty Baker after he won 95 and 97 games, but couldn't win a series in the postseason. They had World Series aspirations, and now they're sitting below 500. With 37 games to go, and their dirty laundry is getting exposed in the district's paper of record. But hey, look at the bright side. You can't get your heart ripped out in October if your team doesn't make it to October. And right now, they're doing everything in their power to make sure that they're free this autumn. Good job, good effort, and so very, very Nats. Minnesota. Van in Minnesota. It's good to have you, Van. Good morning. Jim, hello. First time, very long time. You're the emperor. It's good Thank to have you, Van. What's up? Thank you for taking my call. Yes, uh, the Ohio State situation. They have a history of winning at all costs. Uh, if we go back to Woody Hayes, I'm a, I'm a senior citizen. I remember this creepy old guy. He got away with everything over there. It took him to leave the coaching area, run into the football area, and tackle an opposing player to get him fired. Uh, I swear with this, with this coach, they'd have to find a knife with blood dripping in order to, uh, to get rid of Urban Meyer. Uh, they're a horrible bunch. Uh, and uh, this is not going to sit well. When, when, when you start condoning uh, guys that beat up their wives, sayonara. Uh, as far as A-Rod, yeah, he was a fraud. Then we kind of liked him, like you said. But this love affair, it, it, the only thing it has to do with Romeo and Juliet is we want to we do a mutual suicide every time we see those two together. My man, Van, a senior citizen with takes for days. Nice job, Van. No, you don't. Hey, listen, I, it's off-putting. I'll give you that. It's baggy. I'll give you that. It's annoying. I'll give you that. 
but you don't want to kill yourself over that. That's nothing to make light of. That's not funny. I have no idea who the hell this guy is. I don't know where he had been. I don't know where he came from. We find out. Jeff in Southfield. Jeff, brother, what's going on? Thank you for the vine, Jim. I cannot thank you enough for honoring my first call with a golden ticket. I will die with that golden ticket in my cold, dead hands before anyone rips it from me. Since I'm so far from SoCal, I wonder if you could, for the time being, give it to Brad in Corona. Since he has so much extra room in his banana hammock, he can store it down there for me. There it can reside all year as a reminder that I will be ripping his junk in Smack Off 25. I also want to thank Adam Hawk for saving my ass. My original wording for Mike and Shale wrestling was not appropriate for CBS radio, and Hawk rightfully and thankfully forced me to rewrite it. He deserves the highest commendation, Jim. And that he can run his post while high makes him not only a tip-top executive producer, it makes him a stoner hero. As for the rest of the crew, I can only tell by what I see on television. So when they stop filming that Revenge of the Nerd sequel in your studio, I hope you'll introduce us to the rest of the XR4TI. But seriously, Jim, may I suggest renaming the current crew the Tri-Lambs? As long as we're saying things that will never, ever, ever be said again, like Hawk did his job well, let me also say how thankful I am that Josh in Detroit called the day of my call. How does it feel, Josh, to spend day after day after day on hold all day, repeatedly begging for a golden ticket, only to watch me rip one in my first call and while you were on hold? Josh, when you go to work tomorrow at that low-rent strip mall with the pawn shop and the Cobra Kai dojo, I don't know if the sign you'll be spinning says Shoe Fixers or Halloween USA, but like your life, that doesn't matter. What matters is you understanding that all those cars passing you by while your life sits still are me, Josh. They're all me. Face it, Josh. Special Ed from Crank Anchors has a better chance of getting a golden ticket by calling and saying, Hey, lady, can I have a golden ticket? Yeah! That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. Special Ed Smack. Jeff, you got to earn that, that thing back. The ticket is mine. We go to NoCal. Victor. Hey, Vic, what's up? Romy, long time no talk, brother. Hey, one last thing I want to mention about the Smack Off really quick, and that is the date of this year's Smack Off. What was it, uh, July 20th? I mean, damn, Rome, I'm old enough to remember when the Smack Off was traditionally held on Good Friday every year. You know what day Good Friday fell on this year? March 30th. <laughs> March 30th. July 20th, March 30th. I mean, at the rate we're going, Rome, pretty soon the Smack Off is going to fall on Black Friday, and... I'm going to have to make my traditional smack-off Eve call in between the first and second quarter of the Detroit Lions versus Chicago Bears Thanksgiving game. Romy, for the monumental 25th smack-off next year, can we roll up the date a bit? You know, that, that's going to accomplish two things. One, it'll get us somewhat back on the original calendar. And two, it's going to cut down on the number of months I have to wait before I reclaim my title. I came close this year. Next year I'm finishing the job. Rome, I want to get an unwar in, and that is unwore the tool I saw yesterday out on the street walking around with, get this man, skiing poles. Skiing poles. <laughs> Have you ever witnessed this phenomenon, Rome? This old guy walking around on the street with like knee pads and skiing poles. Hey, Gramps, 
You're on Main Street and 7th Avenue, okay? It's not chairlift number nine at Snow Summit. Lose the skiing poles, dork. And finally, Rome, speaking of next year's smack-off, Jesus, what a disaster that second call from Jeff in Southland was today. The Godfather Part 3 thinks that was an awful sequel. Robert Griffin III thinks Jeff in Southland is in a bit of a sophomore slump. I mean, from newly minted Jungle Darling, mentioned in the same breath as legendary first-time calls like J.D. in Nashville, Shimon, and Willie and Casey's, Cabo Asian, the friendly ghost, giddy-up horseface, to now... Stuck in the mud with scrubs like Jesus from Chicago. I mean, what a fall from grace, man. That's got to be the worst collapse since Hank gathers. Give me my master bill. That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. Good night now! How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.